Neil Turrets. Welcome to my Comscore Mini Screens Big Picture Podcast. Neil Turrets, you are a writer. You're a screenwriter. You're a journalist. You do so many different things. And you're a movie fan, a fan of entertainment. Yeah. Neil Turrets, thank you for being on the program. Let's talk, because I've known you many years. Like so many people on the podcast, we start out as colleagues or working together. Yeah, that's how we met. And then become friends. And that's how we met. We've gone to the smokehouse together out here in LA and had martinis at the bar. So I was trying to think about when we met and I was working at Studio System News and I think you were doing the box office analysis for it. Yeah. Hollywood.com and Studio System. Right. And then we started talking. And then I think the first time we actually met, we had drinks at the place that's not there anymore. It was um, Stella, Stella something. Stella Barra. Stella Barra. That's it. That's right. We talked about music and we talked about my love of Badfinger. And you said, oh, I have a couple of the albums. I'm going to go home right now and put them on the vinyl. Oh my God. Your memory is incredible. And that was because Amoeba Records, which has moved down two blocks and up a block, it still exists, but it was the original Amoeba. And right next to it was, of course, the beloved and famous Cinerama Dome. That's exactly right. Yeah, it was Amoeba Records. That's what it was. That's why we were talking about it, because I had gotten there early and was killing time at Amoeba Records before we uh, met <laughs> up. That's right. That's the best place to kill time and spend money you didn't think you were going to spend. <laughs> That's exactly right. A good record store or a bookstore, I can spend hours if I need to kill time. I grew up in Portland, Maine, and my dad owned bookstores in Maine and New Hampshire. Let's talk about that. And so I have a great, great love of bookstores and by extension, record stores. And also, obviously, I'm a comic book reader, so comic book shops. Right. But wonderful, wonderful places to spend time. Yeah, that's great. And where did you develop your love or affinity for movies? How did that come about? Because you definitely have all that. In our discussions, I mean, not only is your knowledge of the business apparent, but also your love of movies. Yeah. Talk about how that came about. Was that a familial thing? Was it just something baked in? It was something baked in. I, I think that my folks... Uh, you know, I, I'm very close to my parents who luckily are still with us, but I think that they often look at me and don't know what to make of me. You know, they're like, where did you come from? Right. I get that a lot. And I think that, you know, from a very young age, I was captivated by TV and movies. And I have an odd head for my, the way my brain works. I have, I'm a sort of a sponge for facts and trivia. I'm very difficult to beat a trivial pursuit. And seeing a movie once or twice, seeing a movie once, I would remember huge parts of it, who was in it, who directed it and wrote it and all those things. And that just kind of stuck. And it was just being entranced by the magic of it. And the combination of that and just being a sponge for- and What age are we talking about where you developed that? Are you- I was young. I was- Preteen? Younger than that. I think the first time my mom took me to the, uh, see a movie in a theater, I was five. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I just was- Yeah, I think the first movie I saw was either Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella, one of the animated films, the, the Disney movies. After that, I couldn't get enough. I just was constantly going to the movies, even as you know, six, seven, eight years old. I loved going to the movies. Yeah. And I'm older than you, but our uh, journey runs parallel in the sense that- you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I've written about this many times. It's the formative movie going experience was when my, you know, I was seven years old. My dad takes my three older sisters and my mom and I to this Cinerama Dome mm -hmm. where we were at, uh, you know, Amoeba Records back in the day. And that made a huge impression on me. I think a lot of people have those stories, but you also have to be the kind of kid where 
somebody takes you to the movies, right? You're not driving right. yourself. Right. And so it's even though your parents may be like, where did you come from? We're not like movie buffs ourselves or whatever their interests may be. Somebody took you to a movie, man. Well, it's interesting because I think just like 2001 was the touchstone for you, I feel like Star Wars. Yeah. was It was a similar thing. I was six when Star Wars came out. And it was all any of us talked about at day camp at, you know, that summer. People now, you, you don't understand the phenomenon that, they don't understand the phenomenon that that was. We grew up in a different time. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and your parents would drop you off at the movie theater and come back in two hours and get you. Oh, yeah. You know? I did that. My parents dropped me off for a James Bond marathon. Oh. I maybe was, I'm just 12, 13, I couldn't drive. They had to take... And we saw up to that point, like there had been five, six, seven <laughs> James Bond movie, maybe more at that point. Yeah, yeah. And they left us there for 12 hours. I mean, yeah. we just literally, and it was a different time and nobody was afraid that anything bad would happen. They just drop you off. and Yeah, we'd be eight or nine years old and go to the movies. Somebody's mom would drop us off and say, all right, meet us back here. How long is the movie? Two hours. See you back here in two hours. And if the movie was an hour and a half, yeah. we'd sit on the curb for a half an hour until some the mom showed up, you know? Exactly. Or, Neil, grab a pay telephone, throw a nickel in there. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And and call somebody to pick you up. It was never difficult to find somebody to go see a movie with you. I like to joke, when I was a boy, I only cared about three things. I cared about baseball, superheroes, and movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And now that I'm an adult, I've really just added women. I mean, it, you know. <laughs> well, that's true for many of us. <laughs> but I just, you know, my tastes continue. Like, I love my fantasy baseball team is good this year. So I'm actually paying attention and driving my wife crazy. I still read comic books religiously, and I'm driving into New York City tomorrow to see the Flash movie. And I just can't. When I work, the TV is always on. It's always on because I will watch movies. I, I have the ability to write while I'm also watching a movie or a TV show. You know, it's funny you say that. I do the same thing, but with music. Yeah, yeah. The only reason music isn't playing right now is because we're on the podcast. Right. Otherwise, it's constant. I mean, when I'm sleeping, it's not, of course. No, but what if I'm awake and in my office yeah. or when I was in our previous apartment, when I was working in the living room, it would drive my wife crazy because she would come out and want to, you know, like, I, I don't want to have to watch TV while I'm eating lunch, but that's what I was doing. <laughs> and now I have, you know, we have an extra bedroom. I'm sitting in, in the office. And when you came on, I had to pause the TV. There you go. But I mean, there's always something I'm watching. I'm always consuming something. It's kind of, I can't get enough of it. Is there a comfort food movie for you? Like, I'll just give you an example because I'm putting you a bit on the spot. Because by the way, everyone listening, we didn't prep for this at all. We're just going loose and, and conversational, which I love because well, it- what happened was I w- we had lunch when I was in LA last month. Month and you mentioned the podcast and I said, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. And then it was, all right, how about tomorrow? Great. Okay, great. I love it. This is how we talk to each other. And what you're saying about always having TV on or a movie on in the background, you know, for me, I have certain comfort food. I call them movies mm-hmm. that I just put on and they relax me. No offense to the movie, but often they put me to sleep because I've seen them like a hundred. Th- it's not like I'm bored, but like Nebraska, you know, the Alexander Payne movie. Great movie. That for me is just, I put that on and the music and June Squibb and Brewster, and the, the movie is absolute. Do you have movies like that that you just put on or, or conversely, are there movies? Well, not conversely, but apropos to that, are there movies that if they come on, you can't stop watching them? Shawshank, everybody talks about that. Shawshank Redemption comes on. So comfort food and the movies you can't stop watching if they just happen to be on. To- yes. The first batch, it's a rotating list. Because I have found, like, I am obsessed with both the Batman and Top Gun Maverick, Mm -hmm. which to me were my two favorite movies of 2022. Yeah. And I have now watched them on 
my big screen TV over and over and over again, and I'll just put them in a rotation. That's more recent. You know, I have favorites like All the President's Men or Chinatown or Heat. Oh, yeah. If they come on, I just, that's it. It's on and it stays on. Yeah, we have very similar tastes. Because yeah. when you mentioned Chinatown and Heat and, you know, the Batman as well as a recent example and Top Gun Maverick, all great movies. There's something to me that happens in your brain. It's like connecting with an old friend. Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly what it is. That for me is very uh, emotional. Not like I'm crying when I'm watching a movie, but it's emotional from the standpoint of, I love this so much. And I think that's why I admire filmmakers so much because I can't do what they do. Now you, you're in a different position. You write screenplays, so you can do that. But you're also a student of film. So it's for everyone, it's a little different path. And then I do the numbers, but I love movies and I respect filmmakers. And I know all the filmmakers, what movies they've done, all the actors, the creatives, all the backstory and all that. So it's very interesting to me that you've how we met was you're writing like box office stories and things like that. Right. But then you're also a creative. You know, you're on the creative side of the ledger in terms of filmmaking. It's interesting because... I was just having a conversation with an old friend of mine who's a producer. We had lost touch and he reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and we just literally right before we spoke, I was on the phone. With, I was on a chat with him for a while and I have been doing this a long time. And just like if you're smart and you work hard and you're disciplined, if you do something for a long time, you get very good at it. And I'm very good at what I do, but I don't necessarily think anybody's better at what I do than I am. However, I listened to someone like Chris McQuarrie talk about story structure and how he puts together the Mission Impossible movies. And I am fascinated and I am learning things. And I say, I don't have any interest in making a Mission Impossible movie because I like watching them too much. <laughs> yeah. But I love hearing him talk about the very specific way that he builds a story and the intellectual way he breaks down the idea of storytelling. And I don't know that I could do that as well as he does. Like that part of it. But I find I learn things and listening to conversations like that make me better at what I do because I pay attention. I have been telling stories my whole life. I said before, my dad owned bookstores in Maine and New Hampshire. And I grew up in Portland, Maine. Went to college in New York and stayed there for another 29 years. So I lived in New York City for 33 years and just last summer moved up to the Berkshires with my wife. But I'm back and forth to New York and Los Angeles all the time. But I grew up surrounded by books. And the combination of reading books all the time and watching movies and TV, I just became a complete junkie for pop culture. It's a good thing you didn't grow up in a pharmacy. <laughs> oh, good Lord, right? <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you the ins and outs of Dilaudid, my friend, let me tell you. <laughs> no, but that's really fascinating to grow up literally surrounded by books. Surrounded by books and constantly watching things, TV, movies. And when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I would write 15 page, you know, quote unquote novels that are fully fleshed out stories. That was, you know, I mean, I was a novice. I was 10, 11 years old, but still I knew how to tell a story. Yeah. And I was always fascinated. I was a, you know, I was a sports junkie as a kid. So I became a sports writer as a teenager and became, I've been a professional journalist since I was 15. And that's a different kind of storytelling. You know, I remember when I was in college, a guy I went to high school with, we were friendly. I thought he was just one of those guys. He was a friend of me type. And he made a comment kind of diminishing sports writing. He said, well, all you're doing is saying what happened in a game last night. I said, yeah, but I'm telling a story. Like somebody didn't see that game and I'm trying to make it interesting so that they're reading this piece and getting a feel like they were there. So they get more than just a, you, know, you can read a box score for a baseball game, or you can read a get really good, well-written game story and feel like you were sitting behind third base. So I always took that very seriously. And growing up, I wanted to be a sports writer and a novelist. And then I found out rather quickly that I didn't want to spend my life 
in locker rooms. So I moved to entertainment journalism, which was a much better fit for me because suddenly I was writing about movies and TV and books, which were the things that I loved the most. And I was great at dialogue and lousy at prose. And that led me to screenwriting. You know, I mean, it, it was the love of storytelling and the love of reading other people, not just my own storytelling, but I love reading the way other people tell stories. I love the watching a movie. You know, I don't want to make a Batman movie. I want to watch Batman movies. I don't need to make that sausage, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting distinction, too. It, because, really, it is. You know, I mean, well, I'm in all kinds of things that I couldn't do or wouldn't want to do. I will tell you, Neil, I, I know the, the least about sports of anyone I know. <laughs> Yet, my favorite genre of documentary is the sports documentary. And I will watch those. And maybe I do know more about sports than I think because I'm a sponge and I'm absorbing. But it's really the human condition that is within the framework of the sports world or a sports documentary that resonates with me. It's the humanity within the story itself, within the athletic endeavor. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's where we root for teams, but we have favorite players who are on these teams and that's for a reason. You know, Jerry Seinfeld likes to joke that we root for laundry, but it's more than that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's history. Yeah. Like I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, you know, for the first 33 plus years of my life, they were perennial losers. They couldn't win anything. They came on the doorstep of winning everything and they blew it. And then when I was 33 in 2004, they won the world series. It was one of the, still one of the top five, six greatest nights of my life. Yeah. But it's not just about rooting for the team. It's the shared feeling you have, the comradeship you have with other fans. It's finding players to root for. It's this culture of rooting for a team. And I hate the New York Yankees, but I have plenty of friends who are Yankee fans and they refer to it as the Yankee tradition. Yeah. But it's the same thing, like whatever endeavor you're in which you're working in what whatever endeavor, whatever thing that interests you, whether it's being a movie fan or collecting trains or doing close up magic, you know, sleight of hand. Yeah. There's a culture and there is a kinship you can share with others. And along those lines, there are a few things more enjoyable to me than sitting in a darkened theater in a packed house watching a movie and sharing this experience with other people. Ideally, when they're not talking and they're all paying attention and, you know, nobody's bothering you behind. And that's unique, right? Because most of the time, like if you're at home, you have the ability to pause the movie, get mm. up, grab a snack, come back. And that's why the movie theater experience is so differentiated from uh, the home theater experience, home viewing experience. But I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, which reminded me of me and my friends who love movies. And we are like rooting for a sports team when, we're, let's say we're talking about Christopher Nolan for example, and I love Christopher Nolan and I may have friends who don't particularly love his movies, but it is like rooting for your team, whether you're a Wes Anderson fan or whoever you're a fan of in the movie world, it is like sports in the sense of it is communal. <laughs> it's something that people are passionate about that involves the left brain and right brain. In other words, the emotional component of loving a movie, but also like with us, we also look at the box office, how a film is performing so it combines math, statistics, emotion, heart, ego, because I see people getting into discussions, and I've been involved in these about movies and filmmakers that are like political discussions. 100% agree. Where people are getting heated and not, but the difference is, in my opinion, when it's movies, it's positive overall, even though you get, you can disagree with people about a movie, whereas politics is a whole, and I don't even want to get into that no, no, no. stuff, but, but it's a whole different thing. But I love to having passionate at least we love it so much we're not talking about widgets we're talking about movies and performances and writing and directing and music and cinematography i think you left out one key word in the list of things that you talked about there and that is intellectual like there's an intellectual oh, quality yeah. in these conversations too 
And if you recall, I'm glad you brought up Christopher Nolan because we talked about this over lunch (laughs) where I have a great amount of respect for Christopher Nolan. I think he is a brilliant guy. I also happen to believe that he is the most overrated filmmaker in Hollywood. And I think that people give him far too much credit and overlook his faults to the point where they put him on a pedestal. And I think that, again, I don't take anything away from his brilliance, his skill, his craft. Yep. He is very, very good at what he does. But I love that. See, because we had not an argument. No, but a discussion. We had a very nice breakfast discussion about Christopher Nolan. By the way, I don't follow every filmmaker off the cliff in terms of the, you know, there's movies by Stanley Kubrick that I, and he's another hero of mine, but not every movie I'm in love with. Great. Christopher Nolan, same thing. In fact, I go back to the earlier Christopher Nolan, you know, The Prestige, and of course, Memento, his first film following, all that. I love those films so much. It actually is a great way to exercise your brain as a muscle, right? To talk about movies. It's so much more, just like sports. It's not just like your friend in grade school said, oh, you're just writing about what happened. No, there's a storytelling component, which takes an intellectualism. And the thing is, is that, you know, you brought up Nolan and it was it was great for me to build on that because years ago when I was a columnist after Studio System News basically went away, not too long after I started writing a thrice weekly column for the tracking board. And I did that for about two years. And the summer of 2017, when Dunkirk came out, I wrote a column basically saying that Christopher Nolan was the most overrated filmmaker in Hollywood. And people (laughs) got, Paul, people got so mad at me. How dare you? It was unbelievable. It was like I had offended, like I had insulted everybody's mother. (laughs) They came after me with pitchforks, with torches. And one guy, my favorite thing, the guy, one guy, there were two things. One guy said, you're allowed to criticize him when you write scripts as good as Memento or Inception, to which I responded, "Okay, fair enough. You can critique my column when you have a regular three times a week column for a major online news magazine by that logic. But my favorite was this guy, because I had said that in The Dark Knight, there is no drama to the love triangle between Bruce Wayne, Harvey Dent and Rachel Dawes. Right. Because you never for a moment believe that she's going to go with Bruce over Harvey. Never once. There is no drama to it at all. Now, because of this, a guy in back, this is back when I was on Twitter, he basically said, I was a disgrace to my profession. Oh, man. Right. Wow. People take this stuff very, very seriously, and sometimes a little too seriously, but that's also part of the fun, though. It is part of the fun, but, you know, there is a fine line between having a uh, respectful disagreement and being like a troll or being you know a lot of times this doesn't happen to me really at all maybe once or twice we have anonymous people criticizing you from behind some imaginary wall sure or they say things that are just so awful at at the core of us neil people like you and i who love movies and all that we love the art of it art is emotional it's not uh, supposed to be necessarily now it can be confrontational but there's a, a line between confrontational with respect and then people who just want to spill out a word salad just to criticize those sure like you said like yourself we have a has a thrice weekly column and this person has no platform other than you <laughs> responding right to and the thing is that but they're in the minority like i don't i don't pay I, like yes, i, I bring that course. up just because to make a point the reason i'm talking about it is because 95 times out of 100 19 times out of 20 is the conversation is like this is like we had over breakfast where we were laughing about it 
And you were saying, okay, but why? And I'm saying, okay, here's why. And you said, okay, but here's why I responded. And you know, and that, but that's the joy yeah. of having this thing that we both love so much and we can talk about in a way that not everyone can, but that goes for anything. It's like I said, it can be collecting model trains or it can be close-up magic or comic books or whatever you want to do, whatever your hobby is. Neil, you're, you're making me think about things like that are so ego-driven, even for myself, which is like, if I get in the middle of a conversation, let's say at a party or wherever, and I know nothing about the subject, I find another group that's talking about something I know about. Sure. In other words, I want to be able to engage in a way that that at least makes me sound like I know somewhat of what I'm talking about, unless I just want to listen and learn about something. But if it's something I have no interest in, and I can't really think of a good example offhand, because mostly everyone in my orbit loves movies and mm. and music and photography and architecture, all the things I love. You tend to gravitate towards friends and family like that. But yeah, it's kind of interesting how we do that or how I do that. I think that's a pretty human thing. I think that generally speaking, we like to feel like we know what we're talking about. I used to say I stole something from I, I, I paraphrase it. I, I, I changed it a little bit and <laughs> made it my own. But Jack Nicholson said something once that I really liked. And I basically made it my own by saying, I know a lot about a little and a little about a lot. Mm -hmm. I can talk mm -hmm. in great yeah. detail about movies and television and comic books and baseball and some other things. I can talk a little bit about architecture and photography and a little bit more about music. But I mean, you know, name a subject. Like if somebody was talking about model trains and I just keep coming up with that one because it's just in my head, <laughs> I would walk away from that conversation like you would at a party because it'd be like, I have nothing to, to, have nothing to add here. Right. But it's interesting because my 30th college reunion was a couple weeks ago. And a friend of mine who was there had just worked with a major director. I'm not going to say who it is, but this is a guy who has won an Oscar. And I just kind of went up and introduced myself. And my friend, he's a musician, and I had used a song of his in my first film. And he introduced me as a filmmaker. And so the filmmaker was just there. There was no reason for this guy to be at this party. You know, he's older than we are. There was just, you know, he just happened to be there. He was working with my friend and he had the night and he was flying back to Los Angeles the next day. And said, so what are you guys doing tonight? I'm like, oh, we're going to my college reunion. And you want to come? Uh, okay. <laughs> But the director and I ended up bonding and having a really deep, meaningful conversation about movies, about filmmakers. We talked about Chris Nolan. We talked about Paul and Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson. We talked about Kubrick and Scorsese and Spielberg and people that we both looked up to. The fact that I look up to this guy. And it was fascinating because we reached a point where he was not a guy with an Oscar winning filmmaker with a lot more experience than I have. He was just another film fan who recognized another film fan who knew the stuff and with whom he could have an intellectual conversation about movies. And so we spent a lot of time just kind of sitting there having drinks and chatting about it. How exciting for you. It was really exciting. And at the end of it, he said, here, here's my email. Call it, stay in touch. <laughs> and that was great. And he actually then, we the, the exchange that we had afterwards was, he said, I'm just going to keep showing up to these reunions. And at some point, you'll all remember that I went to school with you. And I said, that's great. I'll start putting you on the fundraising emails. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it was this idea of... I don't care who you are, how successful you are, how many awards you've won, how much money you've made. At heart, we all have this same base level of, yeah, I do love Alfred Hitchcock movies. I would love to talk to you about my favorite one and why it's my favorite one. I would love to say that this is my favorite Wes Anderson movie and why. Yeah. And why these other ones don't work or whatever. Do you find that your brain starts really going into overdrive? Like they always say, if you play tennis with somebody who's equal or better than you, you get better. I find that when I have discussions with people who really know film, it makes me try harder. Mm. It's like Jack White used to say, he puts the keyboard a little further away. So in the middle of the song, he has to run a little bit further mm. to get to it. It makes yeah. him better. And I feel like 
when I have a discussion with you and others who I was at a party this weekend with a guy who's an actor and a film buff, we don't know each other that well, but we started talking all of a sudden. It was like a romantic moment, but not really, <laughs> but where the whole world faded away and he and I are just talking about movies. It was as if nobody, you know, it is sort of a thing that can be exclusionary, if that's a word, mm. because if you get into a discussion with someone who really knows film, you kind of focus there. And if somebody comes up and they really don't know, it's kind of hard to let somebody in on that, which I'm ashamed of because you should. But if you're talking to somebody and riffing off of somebody like that, you kind of want to keep it right there and keep it going. No, I agree it's with so that. It's so exciting. I agree with that. And I actually have the same fault. It's easy when you are really passionate about something to be a snob about yeah. it. You know, I mean, I stopped judging people for what they liked and didn't like a long time ago. I used to give people a hard time. You like that movie? Oh my God, why? I don't do that because you know what? Taste is like art. It's subjective. I used to be the same way. And as I've matured, hopefully at my age, I find that too, where if you love a movie, man, it's all good. As long as you've seen it. Now I've talked to people, Neil. Well, that's the next thing I was going to say, but yeah. Oh, I've talked to people. Oh, I that movie sucks, blah, blah, blah. I hate that actor or actor, you know, whoever it is or that director. I'm like, but wait, have you seen this movie? When they say no, then I go into attack mode. I'm like, right. You have absolutely no right. And this is true for everything in the sure, world. Absolutely. To talk about something that you know nothing about and that you actually, if it's a piece of art or a movie, how dare you even criticize a movie when you haven't even seen, if you've seen it and you hate it, I have no quarrel with you, but yeah, I get that too, where people say, oh, I hate that act, or I hate that movie. I'm like, I was on a date before I met my wife, I don't know, a year or so beforehand, and we were talking about this movie that I didn't like, and I do this thing called Six Word Reviews as a lark, where I review movies in six words. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening to this, if you go to Instagram at number six, six word reviews, then you can find it. Oh, me. very cool. And it's, you know, I don't do it for any other reason than because it's fun to do, and I my friends like to see it. But I did a review of this movie that I didn't like. I found it predictable and kind of, you know, it just wasn't, it didn't work. And she wanted to know why. And we were talking over the course of the conversation, it became clear that there was something missing. I said, wait a minute, you keep asking me these questions. You did see the movie, right? And she said, well, no, but I, I listened to an interview with the the writer and this is what they were saying they were trying to do. I'm like, well, what the hell are you talking to me about this? <laughs> you know, you haven't even seen the movie. You're trying to defend it. But to what I was saying before is I don't judge people's taste, but don't tell me a bad movie is actually good or a good movie is bad in an intellectual critical way without backing it up like i will say for instance i think the funniest movie of the 21st century so far is role models with paul rudd and sean william scott lord take me down to the street that's exact sorry i had to get that in there <laughs> i think it's a paul mccartney and wings right not a song that's not right. a song i can watch that movie or you would want to talk about comfort food i can watch that movie over and over again and it always makes me laugh but I will never try to convince you that it is a brilliant movie. You know, it's perfectly fine. It's a funny movie. It doesn't aspire to greatness. It's not going to win any awards or even try. If you ask me technically, technically it's a fine movie. But I mean, it's well-written. It's well-performed. It's fun to watch. But I'm not going to claim that it's a great film, you know? Whereas if someone says, well, I thought that Top Gun Maverick was, you know, I mean, I didn't like it that much and it's not that good a movie. I will say, well, that's ridiculous because it is a terrific movie in every conceivable way. If you didn't like it because you don't like Tom Cruise or this kind of thing doesn't appeal to you, fine. But don't tell me that that bar scene in the first act after he's been told, basically we've met Maverick, we've met his Hondo, and we've met John Hamm and his aide-de-camp. So we've learned the mission. Then we have this 11-minute scene in the bar where we meet all the young pilots and Jennifer Connelly, where we like nine or 10 key players come in. And it's an 11 minute scene from a director's perspective. 
it is just about perfect because you never once lose track of where people are, who's talking to whom, what the eye line is, where everything is happening. I mean, the geography, it is perfect. I agree. Like, it's one of the best scenes of last year. It's not an action scene. There's no special effects. It's just a bunch of people in a bar. Like, you want to talk about great direction? That's it. Don't tell me it's not a great movie. You may not like it. But technically, it is a very well put together film. That's a good distinction, though. It shows you how people, if they don't like it, it's bad. Right, right. And that's my point. Or objectively bad because they don't like it. It's similar to music and wine and all these different things are so subjective. Sure. I mean, look, Tar got all these Oscar nominations. I didn't like the movie. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you why I didn't like the movie. I'm not saying here. Like, if you ask me, I will say, well, here's why it doesn't work for me. But I'm not going to say it's not a well-made piece of work. I mean, Todd Field knows what he's doing. Kate Blanchett is brilliant. I think that I have issues with the way the film, the story is told and whatever, however you want to, you know, I I can walk walk somebody through it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't come out of it saying, oh, what a piece of garbage. Right. It's it's a fundamentally, factually, you know, it's a well-made piece of art. I just didn't happen to like that piece of art. And, and you know, yeah. But I mean, so that's the distinction. Like, and, and that drives me crazy. Like, you didn't like something, so it's bad. Right. That's not how it works. <laughs> well, some people don't like red wine. That doesn't mean that wine is bad. Right. I mean, it could be a bad red wine, but you know what I'm saying in the sense of some people don't like beer. I love beer. So somebody may go, oh, I can't drink. <laughs> the first time we got together, we bonded over whiskey. Absolutely. And I, I can't drink scotch. I love bourbon. I love yeah. rye. I love Irish whiskey. There I can't you go. drink scotch. And yet, I'm not going to say that scotch is terrible. It's just not to my taste. Not you know, and thing. I taste it for three days in my mouth afterwards. <laughs> By the way, anybody who listens to this, this is exactly, it's like we're having lunch at some place in the valley. The <laughs> and it, it, you're flying the wall for a standard conversation between the two of and us. And we keep going for a very long for time. For a long time, I, yeah. So we're getting towards the end of our interview, but I want to ask you, what do you have coming up? What are you working on? Where can we find you? All that good stuff. Neil Turrets, by the way, on my many screens, big picture podcast for Comscore. So great to have you on the program. I want to know what you're up to. What's going on? The big thing is that my wife and I are expecting our first child. Well, congratulations. That's You heard it here. Well, not first, but you heard it here. (laughs) So that is, uh, we're expecting a little boy uh, end of August. So that's- Congratulations. Thank you. We're very excited. Future movie buff. Yes. Well, I'm going to make sure- my brother's boys are 12 and 10, and they both love acting, but he can't get them to sit down and watch movies <laughs> because their attention spans are too short. And I've already told my wife, I said, right. my, ch- our, my child will not have that problem. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> as early as possible. I also, you know, I floated for names. I floated Indiana Jones turrets, and that was shot down. So <laughs> speaking of, I'm very excited about that movie. I am too, despite what all the rumors are. I don't all even the care. Buzz. I have a, a film and a TV project, both that are, I'm pushing along. I think the film project, it looks like we're going to shoot it in the first quarter of next year. We were going to hopefully do it later this year, but obviously the new arrival has pushed everything back. But uh, we're in the casting stage now, and I've been working on a TV project that I won't talk about the film project, but the TV project is a true story about one of the great heists, a great unknown heist of the 20th century. Ooh, okay. Involving the Israeli Navy and France and, uh, you know, this incredible, it's this incredible story of ingenuity and intrigue. I'm talking to people now about uh, developing that out into a 10 episode miniseries. Oh, fantastic. But those are the big things. I mean, yeah. and I also continue to write my column once a week for above the the website Above the Line. Okay. And there's the movie reviews on Instagram at Six Word Reviews. But a lot of what I do, I mean, you know, you and I end up talking about this stuff a lot. I'm excited, especially because 
all the stuff that I have is a little further in the future. I'm just enjoying going to the movies. And it's really come back in a big way. Well, that was the next thing I was going to say is that, you know, watching the box office numbers and seeing that we're getting back to some semblance of normal, that after the pandemic, people are glad to get back in the theater. And people counted it out, dude. Like people counted it out. Summer of 2020, which was abysmal. <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons. But a lot of people just thought, oh, that's the inevitable demise of the movie theater, and it just didn't happen. I never lost faith. I didn't either, because I knew after being stuck in their homes, people were going to want to have that communal experience again. There are few things as enjoyable as seeing a horror movie in a packed house, or a funny comedy, a good comedy in a packed house, or, you know, one of the most electrifying experiences I ever, I've had in the last few years, not ever, but in the last few years, was seeing Avengers Endgame. Oh, yeah. And in a packed house, and that moment when the Thor's hammer flies into Captain America's hand, the place went bananas. You know, it was like somebody had a home run at the bottom of the ninth inning. I mean, it was just the place. People were jumping up out of their seats. And you put me on another path here that I love because I remember when Avengers Endgame opened April 26, 2019, the domestic box office earned $357.1 million in its opening weekend. Yeah. That still stands as the biggest opening weekend of all time. And we were like, how can it get to these numbers? Well, guess what? You leave the theater open all night long and put this movie on every screen. Yeah. And that's how they got to those numbers. Anyway, that's a whole conversation for another day. But you're right to remember those electrifying moments. And, you know, everybody talks about it. I, I forget who I'm paraphrasing, but I've heard more than a couple of actors or creatives say this. You remember the first time you saw a movie in a theater or the first James Bond movie that you saw in a movie theater, but you don't necessarily remember the first time you streamed something. Right. That's exactly right. I remember, what was it, 2008 or nine, whenever The Hangover came out. And I saw it opening weekend in a packed theater and <laughs> laughing with a room full of people is this incredibly powerful thing. It is. And going to a really good horror movie, I saw Smile last summer. Oh, yeah. Up here in the Berkshires. And it's their theaters are smaller, but it was sold out. Yeah. But people jump, you jump. Like it's it's a whole thing. And that experience is not something that translates to a whole lot of other things. You know, there's aren't a lot of other endeavors that you can enjoy. But although there are parallels like you know, I can make a great whiskey drink at home and it's great and I'm sitting there maybe watching Nebraska. But if I go to a bar where there's a lot of hustle and bustle and you have a great mm. bartender, let's say, somebody doing mixology and you have people around, there's music playing. There's just nothing like it, Neil. There's nothing like that communal experience. Or going to a baseball game on a really lovely summer evening, you know, or summer afternoon. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's, there's nothing like it. I'm saying that it's unique in the sense that yeah, there's that sense of comradeship and camaraderie in it, in human engagement. Yeah. And if you're doing it with somebody who is experiencing something like you're sitting in the same theater and having a similar but completely different experience from the person sitting next to you. But it's fun, too. I'll do this where I'll take someone to see a movie. I'm watching them more than the screen. Like if I've seen the movie. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I loved it and I want to show off the movie to somebody. You're just sitting there looking at them or listening because you're, in a sense, you're putting your reputation on the line by totally telling a friend. or And I've done that where it didn't work. And I'm like, oh, my God, I must have been really drunk the first time I saw this movie because it sucks now. <laughs> and I take somebody <laughs> to see it, or <laughs> which is kind of funny. But I've had it where the best feeling is you take somebody back to see a movie that you love and they love it, too. That 
for me is a great feeling. It's really incredible. I just did that with my wife with Raiders of the Lost Ark because we were going to watch all the there movies leading up to Dial of Destiny. And, you know, we're two in. We're going to watch the third one. We're going to watch Last Crusade actually tonight. Yeah. Raiders, she had seen, she's 10 years younger than I am, and she had seen Raiders when she was young and didn't remember it. I hadn't seen it in over 30 years. Yeah. So I said, let's watch it. And she said, wow, this is a truly great movie. And I was, same thing. I was watching her watch it. Yeah. It's probably like seeing it for the first time. My wife is younger than me. By a long shot, because I'm really old, just to confess it. But um, I know we. I know you're right. I showed her uh, uh, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, and she had never seen it. Oh wow! It was like seeing it for the first time for me, even though I saw it first run opening weekend in a theater way back in the day. Yeah. But the difference is now when I see a movie that I love in a theater, I see it many times in a theater because even though there's revival houses and theaters that play old movies again. You may never get the chance to see your favorite movie on the big screen again. That's why I saw Top Gun Maverick, I think, three times in a theater, because I don't know if it's going to come back to the big screen. I saw it four times in a theater. Sometimes that makes it even more of a coveted experience, that it may be a one-time only deal to have that opportunity or that window to see that movie on a big screen. Again, unless you have a great theater that brings back those movies, but that's up to them, not up to me. So I always try to see movies that I love in a theater at least twice in the theater. I agree. And I do the same thing to your earlier point. I can remember seeing certain movies in the theater for the first, seeing the movies for the first time in the theater. Oh, yeah. And I rarely remember seeing a movie for the first time on streaming or, exactly. you know. It's, exactly. It's, it's a completely different thing. They say movie magic, but that's the word for it. It really is magical. It really is. This is the basis of our friendship. You and I have been friends exactly. for 10 or 11 years. We became friends before we even met in person over this stuff. Exactly. And we could keep going even longer, but we're going <laughs> to have to end it there. But I am so happy. Happy, Neil, to have you on Many Screens Big Picture. You're welcome back anytime. I will take you up on it. This is fun. I, I will, I'll come back anytime you want, man. I love it, man. And you can find Neil Turrets on Instagram. You can find his writings online. Neil Turrets, thanks for being on here. You hold the record. I think this is one of the longest recordings I've done. I want to keep going, but we can do a sequel down the road to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have to. After the baby comes, we'll have to have the. We'll have to. Do oh, that. there you go. Thank you for inviting me. This is great. I mean, it's it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, Neil. I'll see you at the movies, man, or maybe at the bar. I don't know. So one of those places. Maybe both. Maybe both. Thanks for joining me today, Neil. Have a good one. You too. 